Hey there, this is Dennis Anyone with Dennis Hensley, a podcast about making things up and making things happen. Uh, I talk to a different creative person every week about how they do their thing and why. And this week, my guest is Darren Stein. He is a writer and director, and we're doing this podcast early and putting it up early because Darren wrote a Lifetime movie that airs this Sunday. It's called Seeds of Yesterday, and it's the last film in the Flowers of the Attic series that Lifetime has been doing. So we're putting this up. Normally we post on Monday. We're going to put this up a few days earlier so you guys can all check out Darren's movie. Um, More on Darren in a bit, but first a little housekeeping. I want to thank Dan Jensen for the generous donation in my virtual tip jar, and uh, it really helps out with things like uh, storage space and little expenses here and there. So if you feel like doing a little donation, you can do that at DennisAnyone.net. And you can do lots of other fun things there, too. You can see pictures that go with the different um, podcasts that I do. And Darren has some amazing stuff in his place. And I took some fun pictures. I'm going to post them up there. Lots of fun, like, jawbreaker fan art and things like that. Uh, You can also subscribe to my newsletter. You can take the audience poll that I have there that really helps me. And just, you know, check it out. Anyway, um, on to Darren Stein. His films include Jawbreaker and Sparkler and GBF and Put the Camera on Me. Uh, But the reason I went to talk to him is because of this new Lifetime movie that he wrote, Seeds of Yesterday. So we're going to get into all of that. And it was a real delight to talk to him. So enjoy Darren Stein. Hey there, I'm coming to you from a neighborhood called the Hollywood Dell, which I've never heard of until this moment. I'm in the home of Darren Stein. He is a filmmaker and a writer. His films include GBF and Jawbreaker and Sparkler and Put the Camera on Me. And as a writer, he's just written the latest Lifetime movie in the Flowers of the Attic series called Seeds of Yesterday. Yesterday. Because I want it to be Seeds of Tomorrow. I just want seeds (laughs) everywhere. It's Seeds of Yesterday, and it airs this Sunday night for the first time. So lots to discuss. First of all, Hollywood Dell. Who knew? I didn't know that was a thing. I didn't know either. I'm, I'm a second-generation LA native, and I, yeah. and, I, and I had never heard of it. It's, it's sort of like this um, hillsy area tucked... It's really cute. Yeah, between like Cahuenga and Vine. Yeah. Somewhere between the 101 Diner and the Hollywood Bowl. And when you're out talking to people, do you say, yeah, I live in Hollywood Dell, and do they get it or no not one, get it? No one gets it. It's your dirty little secret. And I usually, <laughs> and I usually have to explain what Dell means. Yeah, like, exactly. Like, sort of like a, a, a farmer in the Dell. Like, exactly. In, yeah. All right, so Seeds of Yesterday. It's very exciting. I'm kind of caught up on the series... And I think it's brilliant for Lifetime because it's right in their sweet spot in that it's kind of pulpy and scandalous and sexy. And yet it's a brand that people already know and they're already interested in. It's very smart on their part to do the Flowers in the Attic series. It's funny because when I, when I saw that it was announced in the trades that Lifetime was going to do Flowers in the Attic and possibly sequels, I emailed my agent saying, oh, try to get me in on this. I would love to you know, write or direct one of these. Yeah, because you were a fan. Yeah, I was a fan especially of the 80s Flowers in the Attic movie. Who, who, and I forget who was in it. I think it was, uh, it was Louise Fletcher yeah. playing the um, Ellen Burstyn role. Right. And for some reason it was so... I remember thinking it was so taboo and twisted and like deliciously B-movie. Right. And it was like the years of video stores. So I rented on VHS or I saw yeah. it on cable. And I just thought it was great. It was just great trash. I know. Well, it's, you, know there, you feel like the author's probably like, I want to write about incest. How can I get away with it? Oh, this is where I'll stick them together and like, like, in other words, like, you feel like they worked backwards from like, how can we write about this taboo in a way that people might like 
not freak out about. Exactly. Like yeah. the grandmother, you know, the, the mother traps them in the attic to get her inheritance. And what else are they supposed to do? What else is there to do in an attic? It's like the Blue Lagoon in an attic. Exactly. Yeah. It's like the, blue, the Gothic Blue Lagoon. Exactly. <laughs> but they, the Black Lagoon. But they're doing them well. Like they look good mm-hmm. and the actors mm-hmm. are good. Like mm-hmm. it's really good. Trashy fun. Yeah, Lifetime's really sort of like owning the brand and like appealing not just to women now, but to like gay men. Yeah. And and, and getting into like more macabre and gothic places that they weren't, that they hadn't always embraced. Like that it has that, that American horror story kind of yeah. aesthetic. And also I like that TV movies are a thing again. Because for a long time they weren't there. They were gone. Yeah, they're back. I mean, they're back. it's amazing how many people that I meet who are like, I love Lifetime movies. Yeah. That people just love the brand because it's just sort of like pulpy, trashy, kind of like sexy and guilty pleasure Now, I just read recently that Kristen Wiig and uh, Will Ferrell are doing a movie called Lifetime Movie or something. And I didn't know if it was an April Fool's joke, but I think they really did it or doing did it. Did they? I don't know. I have to look that I up. I don't know exactly either. I think the last I heard was that it was an April Fool's joke. Okay. That, that would be kind of amazing. Somebody thing. should do it. I, yeah. I would love to write that movie. Anyway, so you, you reach out to your agent. You're like, get me in on this. How yeah. did it, then what happened from there? Um, they made Flowers in the Attic. They made Petals in the Wind. And then they, then they announced they were going to make the final two, which were um, If There Be Thorns and Seeds of Yesterday. But isn't there one more after Seeds of Yesterday? Yeah, there's Garden of Shadows, which is a prequel. That's, okay. That's Ellen Burstyn's origin story. Okay. I think when she was younger. Okay. Which is apparently a really great book. I, I have not read that one. But, um, but I think Seeds is, is apparently the last one that V.C. Andrews wrote. Okay. Because, you know, she, she died. And I think Seeds, I mean, there's even rumors that she outlined it, but she didn't write it. Right. But I think Seeds is the last one that she had her fingers in. Okay. You know? Um, no, I, they, were, they announced they were making the final two, and I, I, I had a meeting with Lifetime. There's a great executive over there. Yeah. Um, named Lisa Hamilton Daly, and she used to be at DreamWorks, and, you know, she just gets it, and she's really, you know, likes to push the envelope. Right. And she actually gave me a choice between um, If There Be Thorns and, and Seeds, of which one I preferred to write. And I chose, I chose Seeds because it's the final one. <laughs> yeah. You wanted to bring it home. Yeah. And, and there's a really great sort of, like, young, slutty female character in it called Cindy. Yeah. Who's very much kind of like a, a Lolita-type figure. She's, she's, got, she's, got, she's in the Darren Stein Jawbreaker DNA. Yeah. I yeah. love it. And she's sort of like, the, I, I think she's sort of one of the more exciting parts of Seeds because yeah. she's so brazen about her sexuality. You know, yeah. She's seducing her brother. You know, she's trapped in this house, you know, and, and she, she's, she's a sexual provocateur. Yeah. Like, I don't think you've seen that in any of the VC, in any of the books, that kind of character. Yeah. I also love that there's some dance elements. Yeah, there's ballet. There's a lot of yeah. ballet. Um, Was that fun for you to do? To write? I, I, or to, oh, you, you wrote it, so it's yeah, not yeah. like you're on set going, hey, da 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 Yeah, well, it's funny, because I remember, I remember, you know, the book is so sprawling, it's like 450 pages. Yeah. And, like, I remember just the ballet sequence alone was, like, probably 25 pages. Yeah. So in the script, it was sort of like this whole elaborate, um, you know, set piece. But when you see the movie, it, you know, obviously they had to streamline it. I'm sorry, I forgot I was recording on my phone because I like to do a backup. Uh, so when you get the – okay, you get the gig, you open the book, you start reading it. Are you – is there a moment where you're like, okay, I got this, I got this, I got this, and then you're like, oh, holy shit. How do I condense – what's the process like? It was, it was a little daunting, you know, because the book was so sprawling. Yeah. And meandering. Had you done it before? I've, an I, adaptation? I have adapted a book before. Yeah. But never one, uh, you know, that was going to be, you know, by a big network and – 
that was a you know sort of a treasured author in the final book in the series. I mean, there's, yeah. a lot, there's a lot of responsibility with that, you know. And the book, you know, it's not as it doesn't have a narrative thrust that right. Flowers in the Attic has. And even Petals in the Wind feels a little bit more streamlined narratively. Right. And If There Be Thorns is basically a goth. It's basically a bad seed story. Right. And it had great elements of Night of the Hunter. It's like, you know, an origin vil- right. boy villain story. And Seeds is like kind of like a shit show. It's like yeah. all over the place. Yeah. Um, I, I actually ended up taking out one of the characters completely. Yeah. Um, which will be, it'll be interesting to see if there's any kind of like... Um, yeah, don't go on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, it'll be interesting. Because I remember I, I saw for If There Be Thorns, somebody, someone published a thing that like the, 30, the 33 differences between the book and the movie. Oh, yeah. Well, there's always going to be differences between a book. They and need the clickbait, whatever. I know. Um, but I, there, there's an old man character. I think he was a butler or something yeah. who sort of like starts to turn Bart evil. Right. And he just seemed kind of, you know, he didn't do much. In, right. You know, in, over the course of the narrative. And in Thorns, you know, Bart's kind of possessed or obsessed with his, you know, great uncle Malcolm. I mean, yeah. I mean, grandpa Ma- Malcolm. And so I just brought the possession of Malcolm. I kept that as a through line, took out the old man character. Okay. And it just gave Bart more to do. There you go. Makes yeah. sense. Yeah. All right. I, I love to talk to people about how they, you know, the ups and downs of this and how they get something. What was it? What do you think got you the gig when you went to that meeting? What was it about the way you were, what you said, who you were being? I, I, I don't know. I think, I think um, she was probably a fan of Jawbreaker. Right. You know, you know, the Jawbreaker, which was made in 1999. Right. Um, it's gone on to, you know, become kind of like a cult classic, which is pretty cool. Yay. And um, I think that she understood inherently to have the writer-director of that write one of the if Flowers in the Attic's, Attic books was smart interesting choice it made sense yeah and and it was a sort of an edgier choice you know because i think in the tv movie world a lot of these writers and directors do a lot of these movies and you were passionate about it too i was very passionate and one of the cool things about lifetime in the last few years is that they are because the darker indies don't get made anymore because you know focus really makes like what was that the snm movie yeah, Fifty Shades. Yeah, stuff like that. In much bigger mini studio films. I feel like Lifetime's become like the new. Not so it's where you would make the House of Yes, exactly. or Whatever you know, exactly. Yeah. So you know, like Mary Heron directs a lot. Yeah, and I, films. Nancy Savoka. I Nancy saw her Savoka name. Did a yeah. few Thorns. Um, so they're really you know getting some cool indie people to do things. Um, Were you? Did you lobby to direct? I did. I really wanted to direct it. Um, but Lifetime, you know, doesn't real, doesn't often have the writer director thing happening. Yeah, they have one writer, one director. Um, but I for sure lobbied. I thought, yeah. what, but I but I think at the end of the day it worked out perfectly. Yeah, because I think it's cool that I wrote it. Did um, you go on set at all? I didn't. They shot in Vancouver. Right. Um, also, you know, a Lifetime movie, the brand is Lifetime. Yeah, it's not a Darren Stein movie. No, they need to. Yeah, yeah. They they, they cast it. You know, I think the director has a say. Yeah. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's a lifetime movie. And I think that, you know, you can only do so much within yeah. that, that world. That's what the gig is. Yeah. Were there, how do you put your Darren Stein touches into something that, A, is branded for lifetime and also a beloved book? Where's the, where's the moment where me as a Darren Stein fan would go, oh, that's so Darren? A lot of the dialogue, you'll, you'll, yeah. you'll probably hear me in. Yeah. Um, it's, it's definitely like a, tongue, a lot of it's tongue-in-cheek. It's like a lot of double entendres. Yeah. You know, because by the time you get to the fourth book... You 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 gotta own the camp. You gotta yes. own the incest, and own the incest. Yeah, so it was fun just taking the di- you know taking the dialogue, you know uh, I don't know to a to a more um, I don't know self um, a place where it was like weakening yeah. itself, and uh, and also not not shirking away from the darkness of it. Like I, I wanted to like take it there. 
Yeah. You know, so I definitely pushed the envelope as far as I could as a writer. And then I have a lot the producers are, you know, or Lifetime tell me, okay, well, let's take it back a bit. Or, How was the notes process? It was really great. You know, Lifetime was like, you know, they, they, they wanted to take it to the edge. They definitely yeah. want... Not, not. They don't want to shirk away from the sexuality or the violence or the incest or any of the pervert. The perverse stuff is what makes it fun. I mean, that's the currency of. That's what it is. DC Andrews. I mean, that's yeah. that's what it is. Yeah, that's completely what it is. Yeah. Um, it's so dark. living that living that world was so dark. Um, but no, the process was great. Um, the one of the producers on the film um, had been at Killer Films. Oh, okay, awesome. And she was really great indie company. Yeah, and she was super smart, and her notes were great, and it was kind of a collaboration between us as far as the development of the script. Yeah, and we turned each draft into Lifetime, and then Lifetime would have more high level notes. It wasn't like what do you mean by high level notes? It wasn't like nitty gritty page notes. They would just be like, oh, we don't love you know um, the way this act ends or something. It was, yeah, it was, they were much. They were small notes. They by the time we got to Lifetime, they were pretty much like that's that's great. Change X, Y, and Z, and we'll go. Yeah. You're used to writing feature films. What is it like to write a TV movie where you like need a boom moment to go into the commercial? It's just a different. It's like a different beast. Um, there's act breaks. I yeah. Think, I think, How many acts in a hour, think, two hour movie? I kind of. I think there's seven. Yeah. And every break needs to be a cliffhanger. Yeah. So it's pretty similar to a pilot, an hour pilot. Right. Sim- similar structure. Um, and uh, it was a lot of fun. I mean, it's a challenge to like yeah. come up with each of those act breaks that's going to yeah. bring the audience back after the commercial for sure. Um, cute people, sexy people in this movie. Yeah. Um, you probably don't have anything to do with casting, but it's just still fun. Sexy people in all the movies. I know. Um, I was really happy when I saw that they cast, uh, Kiernan, is it Shipman? Yes, from, from, from Mad Men. Mad Men. She's I great. saw her once at a coffee house. Yeah. She was the most sophisticated yeah. young girl in her, like, little schoolgirl outfit, but, like, working it. It was kind of... Impressive. Plus, I'm a huge fan of that show. And when they cast her, she must have been like, I don't know, seven? So young. How yeah. do you know someone's going to turn into like a powerhouse actor? You don't. I mean, I mean, but there has to be a certain brilliance there, even at seven. You must certain, see something. Yeah, there's something. She had something. I mean, she had that. Because even you see that preternatural yeah. sophistication. Yeah. Which I think is still there when you're seven. Yeah. I saw her too at a coffee house once, and I. And she was with her girlfriends, and she was so tricked out. She looked so cute. Yeah. And she was like this little. She was like she was kind of like a little fashion icon. Yeah. Already at, at thirteen or however however old, she, however old she is now. I know it's a lot. It's yeah. a lot to have all that on you. Um, was the guy Maslow Maslow was he on the guy on Dancing with the Stars? Mm-hmm. Oh, mm-hmm. he was so cute on there. Yeah. And he's he, very cute on here. He looks a little like Adam Levine. Yeah. His name is James Maslow. He was in a boy band. A boy band. Yeah. Big Time Rush. Yeah. And then he was on it. It was a Nickelodeon show, I guess, mm-hmm. where they were born. Yeah, yeah. So he was. I think the director Sean Koo worked with him, with James, in yeah. a web series. Okay. Um, um, but I think James did a great job. He's so a, web series can pay off. Yeah. There you go. Web series are happening. I mean, that's web like, series that's are like, happening. Yeah, they're, they're, I mean, look at Broad City. Broad City began as yeah. a web, as a web series. So there you go. I love it. All right. Um, GBF was uh, a film that you had out not that long ago. It was two years ago. It was delightful. Thank you. And it was kind of in keeping with your teen thing. It was kind of like yeah. a bookend piece with um, Jawbreaker, I guess. Yeah, well, I, I read the script, and it was so fresh, so original, and it had something new, something new to say about the teen genre. I thought it was very timely in terms of where people were in terms of gay acceptance and... And especially young people, and it wasn't like, oh my god, it's the worst thing in the world. It was more like, ooh, that's interesting. I need one of those. Right, exactly. You know? 
Um, and that you cast that really adorable actor that's on that other show now, Michael J. Willett. Yeah, so good. He was the cat. He was discovered. He was discovered for I guess faking it through GBF. Right. Um, I once rode on a shuttle bus with him, the Van Nuys Flyaway. He was sitting behind me, and I think he was with his boyfriend. And I recognized him, but I didn't say anything. But you've got a forty-five hour bus ride where you kind of hear how he is. Yeah. And you can kind of gauge if he's an asshole or yeah, not. he's not. He's not. Super sweet. He's super sweet. Yeah. On the Van Nuys Flyaway. He's just lovely. And he's been with that boyfriend, I think, I want to say for probably like five, four or five years. Way to go, man. Yeah. Like he and I went to L- London together for a festival, and he was just so lovely to be with. Yeah. We had a great time. Even though there was <laughs> these two guys that we had met at this, like, gay bookstore slash, you know... In London? Vibrator. Vibrator Emporium. Yeah. Yeah, it's like one of the main, like, sex shops yeah. in Soho. They, we went in there, and I guess Michael, they recognized him from GBF or something, and yeah. they were all smitten with him. Just and loading then, you down with dildos? Yeah. And then that night, they were at, we went to GAY, or one of those clubs in London, or bars, and they were stalking Michael. Okay. And I had to, like, kind of... You had to <laughs> play, kind of... Play, play bodyguard. Yeah. They, wherever we would go, they would, like, appear. Yeah. <laughs> it was... It was it Did was you get scary. any free merch? <laughs> no, I don't think okay. so. But it was just—it was just interesting to see the effect he has on people. There you go. Yeah. Well, he's he's charming and really yeah. good. Yeah. GBF did kind of a different distribution system. Yeah, it was on Directv first, and I want to hear how that worked and did it pay off and what was that like? Because you were kind of the first, right? It, yeah, it's one of the very first uh, movies to premiere on Directv. Uh, the movie premiered at Tribeca Film Festival. We had a sales agent, and you know, a lot of different companies wanted the movie. A lot of them were VOD companies, right? And there was one company called Vertical who had a deal with DirecTV. Right. And they had more money. They, they actually could pay us uh, an MG, a minimum guarantee, which was was significant. Which is and, different than a lot of the other companies at the time. Yeah. This is all sort of shop talk. But I think it's interesting if you're a fan of, especially gay independent film, to know how what the avenues are and what can work. And yeah. is, there, is it financially feasible anymore and how it works? Yeah, it was pretty amazing because they spend so much on marketing. I and mean, we had like a full page ad in Entertainment Weekly, which was kind of cool. Yeah, I, and I, I saw it a lot. Yeah, like, it was all over the, the DirecTV yeah. menus. Yeah. The problem is that, you know, when movies premiere on DirecTV and they don't have marketing, they don't have, people don't know what they are. Yeah. And so it's like, it's not, I don't think that they've completely figured out that, that, that mode of distribution yet. I think it did okay on DirecTV. It didn't do great. Yeah. But the same, our company also, you know, had a deal with, it was one of the guys from the company used to work at Lionsgate. So he has a relationship, a relationship with Walmart. Okay. So part of the appeal wasn't just DirecTV, but getting the um, DVDs in Walmart. Because a lot of gay movies don't get, don't get yeah. in Walmart. So, so you got into Walmart. Yeah, we were in Walmarts, but they shipped so many copies of it because I think they had certain expectations of what it would sell. Yeah. And, you know, the problem with these direct-to-DVD, direct-to-VOD, direct-to-direct-TV, you don't have the marketing. In other words, it's not like, oh, I remember hearing all about this movie when it was in the theater and I didn't yes. see it and now I'm going to buy it. Because guess what? When it's in the theater, you have a studio marketing system. Yes, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. You yeah. know, you, even if you just see the poster in the movie theater, in exactly. other words, there's an awareness. Exactly. That's so it didn't sell in Walmart like they thought it would. Yeah. And then so they sent the, the DVDs back for us. And then so we as the producers got dinged financially because of that. Yeah. Uh, but the movie ended up doing the best on Netflix. On Netflix is, Netflix is where it found its legs. Okay. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, and it's so funny because Netflix is a brand now. And yeah. k- kids who discover a film on Netflix, they'll, they'll call it a Netflix movie. Yeah. Even though GBF wasn't produced by Netflix. Right. Um, but that's where it sort of found its legs. Yeah. And overall, not to get – you don't have to get specific, yeah. but overall – 
it, it was it was successful. It yeah, the, movie, the movie's recouped its yeah. its, its budget now, and it, and I th- and, I th- and the great thing about teen movies is I think they they sort of go on. Yeah, like they, they they keep getting seen. There's always a new, a new generation of teenagers who rent them and who get into them. I met a screenwriter the other day who, for the first time, I met him. He had a teen movie that was on the blacklist, so it was everyone loved the script and whatever. And he met met all these different people. No one's making teen movies. No one's making teen movies. No one's making teen movies. Mm-hmm. Which sort of surprises me, but um, he found an avenue, I think, through Awesomeness. Awesomeness TV. They're oh, cool. sort of starting to get into that game, and I, I think they're her. probably going to cast like YouTube person, like people right. with big followings. But right. it's a different. It's, again, it's a new model. Mm-hmm. But I was surprised that like teen movie is like like nobody's into it. Was it was his script horror or genre, or was it a, a teen comedy? I I actually. I think it's, it sounded a bit like a Stand By Me kind of. Okay. Um, it didn't sound wacky or scary particularly. It sounded okay. more like a straightforward coming, of age, kind, coming of, of age kind of thing. Yeah, because yeah, Awesomeness made their first movie called Expelled. And it was yeah. sort of like a Ferris Bueller's Day Off right. kind of thing. Um, but I met with them about a horror comedy that they yeah. want, they wanted. Yeah. Um, but they're great. They, they, it's a whole new uh, distribution mechanism. The problem is, and it's not necessarily a problem, but you have to cast YouTube personalities. Yeah. yeah. And, you know... Some of them are actors and, and some, some of them aren't. aren't. And yeah. Most, mo- most of them aren't actors. Have you met with them? Did you go through any kind of auditioning thing? Yeah, yeah no, I, I had several meetings with Awesomeness. Yeah. And I watched uh, Expelled, which they made. Yeah. And, you know, it's charming, but, you know, it's like, if you're going to model a movie after Ferris Bueller's Day Off, Ferris better be... You, you know, need a Matthew Broderick. Yeah, and... The kid who they cast has a huge following on YouTube, and he's very charming and good-looking. But, you know, I think you have to also understand how to act. I mean, you can't right. just inhabit a character. I mean... You're sort of watching it going, oh, if only they could have gotten blank. Yeah. But but that being said, a lot of these YouTube kids do have a lot of charisma. So yeah. I think, and, I, and I think especially for teen-oriented fair, well, go for it. Why not? Yeah. yeah. It's, it's like, something that you, at yeah. least they're making them. Yeah. Um, now, we first met when you had Jawbreaker and Sparkler coming out, like, back-to-back. Yeah. And that must have been a heady time for you. Was it exciting? It was exciting. Well, so long ago. So yeah, young. It would have been like, well, fuck, mid-90s? 19, Nin- late 96, 97. Yeah. Yeah. It was on Instinct Magazine. Mm-hmm. I was writing for them and that we did a, a really profile. Great, great profile. I loved it. Thank you. Yeah. It was fun to talk to you. Yeah. And I loved, I know Jawbreaker got the most buzz, but I was a big fan of Sparkler. Sparkler just didn't, yeah. I was, I'm a big fan of it. Thank you. A lot of people, some people know what it is and that's yeah. great. Because, I mean, the good thing about Jawbreaker is that it got onto home video. Yeah. So, and, and I consider home video in the 80s and 90s is akin to what Netflix is now. Yeah. But Netflix, but you better be streaming on Netflix. If it's not streaming, the kids don't consider it to be on Netflix. Right. Which is interesting. In other words, they don't want to get that envelope. They don't get. They don't shit. do that. They don't subscribe they to They probably that. don't even have a mailbox. No. No. Their parents, you know, they have, they, 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 it's streaming or nothing. Yeah. Um, which is funny because Jawbreaker is not streaming on Netflix, but it is streaming on, on UK Netflix. Okay. So the kids on Twitter get confused because they think it's on, but it's not. Yeah. But Sparkler, you know, got discovered on on VHS. Yeah. It called Sparkler like a, v- a complete VHS movie. The cover had Freddie Prince Jr., Jimmy Kennedy, so yeah. people rented it because Freddie was in it. Yeah. And it was cool because the executive who financed Jawbreaker acquired Sparkler because they, they were, I was making a new film with them. They wanted my first film to yeah. have legs. I think they knew Freddie Prince was a good yeah. face for the cover. Um, so they put it on a home video. It was Columbia TriStar Home Video. Wow. So, so Sparkler had a significant home video life. It did not have theatrical life. It, was, yeah. it opened in LA and New York, and that was that. Yeah. It was strand releasing. How close together did you make those movies from be- actually being on the set? 
Well, they were they were within a year a year or two of each other. They're pretty fast. Wow. But that being said, you know, I wrote Jawbreak. I wrote Sparkler. You know, it took me like you know, and then and then I, and then I couldn't get that made. And then I wrote Jawbreaker. Couldn't get that made. And then I finally got Sparkler made. And then through the producers who um, helped me raise money for Sparkler, I met the producers who produced Jawbreaker. Right. So those two films sort of like happened back to that, you know. But because of you had done all that groundwork and yeah. all that stuff and it all... But it took a lot out. of time to get yeah. get the first one off the ground. So when those two movies come out back to back and get, get good buzz and Jawbreaker especially and all that stuff... Do you think, okay, I'm off to the races and it's just going to go like this? Or, yeah, or, you kind of do. And um, was there a moment where you're like, okay, fuck, what am I, you know, like how do you, Yeah. Well, how do you go from all that moment, momentum, all that heat to whatever's next? It's not easy. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> um, jawbreaker, you know, I, I got offered, not, not straight out offered, but considered for a lot of teen comedy kind yeah. of stuff. And after Jawbreaker, I wasn't really interested in making another teen movie. I wanted to make, um, a film like, you know, a, a noir movie or a film yeah. like Blade Runner. Or yeah. You know, obviously not with that kind of budget. Or a musical. You know, I have yeah. so many different tastes um, that I think I might, I might have passed up some opportunities after Jawbreaker um, because I was really... I, I optioned this book called Box Nine, which is yeah. like a cyber noir book that we were trying to package and we got like, you know, we were trying to get another writer involved at one point. Yeah. But the film never got off the ground. And, and then I had a blind script deal which is great. Uh, what is a blind script deal? Back in the 90s when TV was paying more money. Back in the 90s? Yeah. That's it, just, this whole podcast, my whole podcast could just no. be called Back in the 90s. Yeah. In the early 2000s, um, there was this thing where, you know, a producer could basically pay you a big sum of money. Yeah. Or a, 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 a studio to own you for a year and you would just uh, generate ideas yeah. and finally ho- hopefully one of, your, one of your ideas would get written as a pilot and then yeah. it would get made as a show. This is and more so, for television. Yeah, this movies. is TV, I'm yeah. sorry. So it's a blind script deal with, with, with uh, Greenblatt, John Lari, you know, David. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, and, and, and Fox. And so that paid me, I got paid a lot of money for that more yeah. than I ever had gotten paid. Um, but that didn't get made. Yeah. And so it's like you spent, you start, years start to pass where you're getting paid to do stuff but you're not, things aren't getting made. Yeah. And people just think that you've sort of disappeared or you, you What's up with you? How are yeah, they? Yeah. Oh, all of that stuff. And it's so hard because you feel like such a loser. It's so part of your identity. How yeah. do you separate it from it? And, but I feel like, I mean, I didn't spend, I didn't see you a lot right. during those years, right. but I've seen you a little more in the last few years. Yeah. And you seem at peace with the, yeah. I think some people become better people because of that craziness mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. some people don't. And you're somebody that's like, God, I love Darren. Thank you. I love what he's about. He's kind and... Well, you can't... You know... If you are going to let, let it eat, eat at you, you don't belong in this business because you're not going to make it. You're right. Not, you're not going to persevere through it. Yeah. You know, it's like I've written pilots for ABC Family, for ABC. I wrote a movie for, you know, um, Fox Atomic. Yeah. Nothing. None of these got made. But, you know, you're getting paid. You're making a right. living. And you're moving ahead. And you have faith that one day something will, will get made. Yeah. So then, then we'll, when a script like GBF comes along through OutFest, of all places. Right. The OutFest screenwriting yeah. app. Yeah. Um, it was so funny because I was so... You know, we all have our cynical side. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's hard not to. So, you know, when I read GBF and it was great, it was a great piece of material, I was like, wow. You know. Did you read it? going into the lab or after it had gone through the lab and been, you know, like, because the lab, they really help you improve your scripts and stuff like that. Um, no, 
it, it hadn't gone through the lab yet. It, 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 it was like the it was chosen to be right. to be in the lab right. as one of the five finalists. And they match each script with the director right. uh, for the stage readings. And it was Guinevere Turner, who's on the who's one of the sure. um, mentors on the, the writing mentors, who suggested me as a director for it. And so when I first heard that Gwen suggested me, I thought it was going to be a dark something dark. Because right. like, you have the horror gene yeah, too. Yeah, I like yeah. the horror and the dark stuff too. And then I wasn't. It was a total teen comedy. And it was so fun. And, and I know why she recommended me because I have yeah. a jawbreaker and all that. Um, Give and, us the one-line GBF um, thing just so people that haven't seen it can Basically, it's about a- these the, the three queen bees at a high school are fighting over the one gay guy who can't who comes out because it's in fashion to have a gay best a right. GBF, which is a gay best friend. I thought it was so well observed and of the moment and very fresh. It's, it's It was such a fresh piece yeah. of writing that it was really... It felt like, as a director, that's just what you dream yeah. for, you know? And we cast it, you know, at really, uh, you know, with a lot of precision. And then made it very stylized, you know, with yeah. the costumes and the color and, you know, the music. I mean, GBF, you wouldn't believe what it cost. I mean, it looks like it costs quite a bit more yeah. than what it costs. Um, and you are known, between Jawbreaker and this, as, I think, I think, the king of the slow-mo hallway uh, high school click shots. It's true. Talk about shooting those. Well, for Jawbreaker, you know, I was influenced by like westerns and like Quentin and gangster movies. Really? Yeah. Just like the way the cowboys would walk yeah. through the dust. And, yeah. Yeah. It didn't come from uh, fashion or anything of that yeah. sort. Yeah. It wasn't like models on a runway. Well, yeah, it was that too. I mean, that's, right. al- that's always <laughs> with me, that's yeah. always going to be there somewhere. But um, the Jawbreaker ball, I was like, well, I thought about a ball gag, like, yeah. like that they would use to gag somebody, and I was like, well, "What's a teen girl approximation? Well, a jawbreaker, you know." And the slow motion walk, I just wanted it to be like very iconic, like the, like, like the the new cow, the cowboys are walking into town, you know. And these are like the girls. These who, people are the most important people exactly. in this universe, and it was really just when you have costumes like that, you know, the costume design, you know, Rose, the way Rose walks and the girls walk. And the order, like, okay, no, Rose needs to be third. Yeah. You know, there's the whole thing. Yeah, it was beautifully photographed by the DP and the piece of music that we got. Yeah. It was an Imperial Teen song called... Do you know in advance the music? No. You figure it out later. I didn't. But we got this Imperial Teen song called You Who. Yeah. That was perfectly just like, so dripping with ads in. right. And it was just the perfect confluence of... um, of events that happen, yeah. you know, and so it's funny because in GBF and in the script, it's like the girls come walking down the hallway in slow motion. I'm like, oh boy, I've done that, you know, George. Right? George, How do you give it a yeah, twist? Well, well, George, the writer, is you know, ten years younger than me, right? Or eleven or twelve years younger, and All so right. he, I'm sure, Jawbreaker is one of his. Influences. We get it. He's young, but it was one of his influences, right? When yeah, he, when he wrote this movie. Um, but the great thing that he did with GBF is that you see the girls in slow motion. And they're coming with the, with the gay boy in the middle. Yeah. Like he, he reinvented... He gave it a twist. Yeah, it's reimagining... Because every gay boy who saw Jawbreaker wanted to be in that lineup. Yeah. And in GBF, they got to be. They got to. <laughs> and I think for an actor, it's probably a thrill, right? Are they like, how they do were, I walk? Oh my God, do you like my walking? What do you think of his shoes? Do I need to move my hips more? Like, yeah. it's a whole thing, right? Yeah. Do you have, do you have a, Blu- a Blu-ray player at home? I do. You gave me... The, you, last time I was here, you loaded me up. But I didn't, you don't have a Blu-ray of GBF, do you? I don't know if I do. No, you don't. I don't think so. They're made in the UK. Yeah. I'll give you one to borrow. Yeah. Because there's a great hour-long docu- 45-minute documentary. Oh, I'm going to watch it. And you see the you see a shooting the slow motion scene. Yeah. And every after each girl did their own slow motion walk, they each do their own in the beginning. Sure. They they all had a huddle behind the 
the um, monitor and look at them, watch themselves. They're yeah. so excited about it. Yeah, it's. I think for an actor, yeah. that's like one of those things. Like, I want to do a death scene. I want to do a yeah. what scene? I want to do that. Um, and Jawbreaker the musical. Yes. Update me. I once got to be in a car when you were playing songs right. from I it. I remember that. They were really catchy and fun. Yeah. Well, the first thing you should know is that musical theater takes forever. It does take forever. Oh my god. This is so much fun, by the way. I love this podcast. Good. I love it. I feel, Tell like, I'm at, I feel like I'm at lunch with you. I know. I, um, I, <laughs> um, but yeah, no, basically, um, I got a call about six or seven years ago now, seven, yeah. seven or eight years ago or something from my producer. They wanted to make it Jawbreakers musical. I got connected with this composer and lyricist in New York, really talented young guys. Had they done other things that they, we would know? They, they, they are working on Pump Up the Volume. Okay. The Alan Moyle film. Sure. Um, and they did another show called Trails. Okay. Which just had its... Just played in Japan, of all places. Right. But um, they're so talented. The score is so great. It's very, like, pop, dance. Yeah. Kind of Lady Gaga, Katy Perry sounding. And they had me write the book. And I had never written a book to a musical, so that was really fun. I bet. Know, to get to revisit those characters. How does that start? Do they, like... We see a song here, we see a song here, we see a it song here. It started with the three of us sitting in this room where you right. are right now. Fabulous for, room, by for, the way. <laughs> for three or four days. Yeah. No, it was a weekend, maybe two or three days. And beating the whole show up, beat by beat. And yeah, yeah deciding where the songs go, what the songs are called, what the songs sound like. So it was a lot of me playing them, like, yeah. my musical influences, which were very different from theirs. Um, because Jawbreaker was more, I mean, the sound of that movie was more 90s grunge. It was yeah. more like... You know, Volcano Girls and, like, you know, um, Imperial Teen and, like, the Donnas. Right. But then you had the car- 80s stuff. You had the Cars. Yeah. Um, and you have uh, that Frank Sinatra song and stuff. But this is pop. Yeah. But with a little little edge to it. Fun. And yeah. you, you know, you, there's been workshops. We've had several workshops. And it was great because, they, and they've all been in New York. So all the musical theater talent is, is yeah. pretty much in New York. And we, but after making GBF, it was great because I got JoJo, who had done GBF, yeah. to be in, to play Rebecca Gayhart's part in a workshop. Which, who's JoJo? JoJo, JoJo. Yeah. Okay. She was in GBF. She played Soledad, the one who's yeah. like, kind of the tragic girl who wants yeah. a gay friend. And, um, and then this actress named Elizabeth Gillies, who was in Victorious, I think on Nickelodeon, she played yeah. Courtney, the Rose McGowan role. And she's, Liz is just like gorgeous and like right. so like evil looking. She's got that femme fatale face. Um, and then Diana DeGarmo, who has done a lot of musical theater. I love her for yeah. her, for reinventing herself after Idol and like, I'm going to be musical theater diva and, and she is, I'm going to kill it. She is so impressive. And I'm going to get to bang Ace Young. Remember yeah. Ace Young? She and Ace are married. They're married. Yeah. Ace came to a, a reading of GBF cause Diana had almost yeah. done a part in that. Um, but yeah, we were supposed to, the, the show was supposed to premiere, it was all slated to premiere in Seattle in November. This November, this November. This past November or coming This November? coming November. Okay. But we had a rights issue because the rights that we have are for like a class A Broadway production. Yeah. And we've, re- we've retooled the show to do it as a club tour. Yeah. And so the theater in New York is called the Neptune, which is like yeah. a venue where bands play and stuff. Sure. It's not considered a class A Broadway theater or whatever. Because uh, this, this has been a journey. So now we're getting the, the right rights, but we had to postpone the, the November I premiere. I got you. It's a lot. It's a lot. I just read an article on Harvey Weinstein and Time Magazine about Finding Neverland, and it's all the same stuff. It's like musicals are a beast. A beast. A beast. A, tr- a true beast. But the great thing is I'm now developing a, a musical movie with the guys from Jawbreaker. Great. About something else? Yeah. It's a new idea. Good. So we're like, hey, well, job, if Jawbreaker's taking time, we'll, we'll, we'll work on we'll something else. Yeah. Maybe I can get a, a movie made. For fans of the, mo- the movie Jawbreaker, describe one number. What's something in the movie that's like, oh, this is a number? 
Oh, well, suck it. The scene, the scene, the scene. <laughs> what are you telling me? Okay. No, okay. No, the scene where she uh, has her boyfriend suck on that popsicle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is now a song called Suck It. That's delicious. And it's a delicious, it's a really fun yeah. song. How do you, what is your relationship to Heather's? I love, love and admire Heather's. Okay. Heather's was obviously one of my major inspirations growing up. Yeah. Um, so I have nothing but love for Heather's. Okay. And I saw the musical of Heather's in LA. I thought, I thought it, was, it was good. It was great. I thought the songs were really I good. it was so much fun. That's the hardest part. The songs? In any musical. Yeah. I feel like if you go and you don't like the songs... You don't want to be there. Yeah. If that's it. it you're sort of done. Yeah, and if you don't walk out humming a tune... Yeah. You're done. Heather's had a great sound to it. I just saw Carrie the musical. Oh, the, the, the new production? Yeah. I heard it was great. The production, they crushed it. It's wow. fan-fucking-tastic. It's, immer- it's like immersive, right? Yes, and they made... I think some of the songs are good. It's again this issue, right. like some. It's not like oh, I hated all those songs, but there's some where you're like yes, and some where you're whatever. But this production is top notch. I mean, they fly people, they immerse you. Wow, they've done everything they can to make that. I want to fantastic. Go. Is it still playing? I need to go. Well, I think it's closed down there, but I heard a little birdie told me that they're going to tell it. Yeah, okay. so that's everyone's. I'm, I'm, so many people are gone to was it yeah. Santa Barbara or something. It was La Mirada. Right. I'm not sure where it was. I just right. got in a car and they took me there. <laughs> and I was like, there is a Starbucks nearby. <laughs> yeah. So hilarious. you, from what I gather from some of your actors. Oh, wait, let me tell you a Heather's story though. Really oh, okay, please. Um, Daniel Waters, who wrote Heather's. Yeah. We're friends on Facebook. Oh, that's cool. And I've all, you know, he's. We've had brushes, but I've never actually met him. Oh, I've, been to yeah. his, I've been to a party at his house once. He has an amazing collection of DVDs. Yeah. He's a true cinephile. Um, but when GBF came out, he wrote on my wall, my Facebook wall, which is so sweet. He goes, it was something to the effect of, we know that I'm not the biggest fan of your earlier teen movie, but... <laughs> and he's straight. He's straight. And he's still throwing really? a little shade. No, he is. <laughs> he could throw shade with the best know, of them. I know. He goes, he goes, but I just saw GBF. I loved it, and welcome to the club of iconic teen movies. Wow. So, so for Daniel Waters, <laughs> GBF got me into the club. <laughs> That's kind of an amazing post. I loved it. You almost, you don't want, you, part of me was like, oh, if you just cut off that beginning part. But no. I, no, I didn't mind you, it. You got to have it all. No, I didn't mind it. No. Listen, when, when Mean Girls came out, I had my, uh, you know, like resentment towards that. Yeah. So it's like, I, I get it. You know? And then with enough time goes by. How are you, where are you now with Mean Girls? I'm fine with it now. Yeah. But a lot of the kids on Twitter, I get a lot of tweets that are yeah. like, Mean Girls ripped off Jawbreaker. Yeah. You know, if you watch Mean Girls, I mean, structurally, there's a lot of, you can tell that Tina Fey definitely watched Jawbreaker yeah. when, she was, when she was writing that. Percolating. But, but P.S., I watched Heather's, so it's right. like NBD. It's part of a tradition. All those movies are sisters. Yeah, and we need one every... Yeah. Eight or ten yeah. years. And the sad thing is they don't get made anymore. They don't, so... But I, I am working on one now. Good. Which is, I'm going to be pitching. It's, it's based on a YA novel. Love it. Yeah. They love that intellectual property or whatever. They love something that was something else. I know. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, I get the feeling that your actors, once a Darren Stein actor, always a Darren Stein actor. Like they yeah. become part of like, when I was writing material recently for Natasha Leone for the Outfest Awards, she was like, oh, call Darren. Is Darren coming? Like, I feel like you have your... Actors, I do. You know, Natasha, I met when I was I, I was producing. You know, in all those years where it doesn't didn't seem like I was directing anything. Right. <laughs> it's so important to laugh at yourself about that kind of stuff. You've got um, to. Well, if you it's bad if you buy yourself. if you buy into how it looks like oh, you yeah. might be doing, you can't. You can't Ugh. trip up on that. Um, 
but but Natasha, I produced a movie called All About Evil, which is a horror comedy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was directed by Joshua Grinnell. His alter ego is Peaches Christ. Yeah. And I met him in San Francisco when I was there with uh, my documentary. And I said, you're so talented. He showed me his short films. They were so brilliant. Yeah. I was like, if you ever write a feature, let me know. I'll produce it. I just said that because I just loved him so much. And years later, he wrote, he wrote All About Evil. And it was a great script. And it helped him get it off the ground. You yeah. know? And Natasha played the lead. And, um, you know, she's a, a force. What year did it come out? That movie, I think that movie was seven or eight years ago now. Maybe okay. Seven, five, seven. Where was she in her journey? She was newly sober. I think she'd only been sober for, you know, I don't know, I want to say like three or four years. Okay. She was newly sober. She was a lot, she was like probably 20 pounds heavier. And she was a lot, you know, she, she hadn't gotten Orange is the New Black yet. She, yeah, you know, no, she's, she's been through some people shit. People were not casting her. Right. And, um, I mean, she wasn't even first on our list. Was she, was that the first time you'd met her and worked with her? Yeah, it was funny because we got, one of our producers knew Clea Duvall, and, Clea, right. and we wanted to try to get Clea, couldn't get her, and Clea said, I remember we, we met with Judy Greer, she wanted to do it, and yeah. she couldn't do it, um, and then Clea's like, try Natasha, you know, and then our DP, Tom, Tom Richmond, had shot Slums of Beverly Hills, right. so he knew Natasha, and then also this other producer who kind of knew her, and so we got, we got Natasha. Now, with that time, was that a, a bit of a risk? It, she, it was a little bit of a risk. Because she's probably grateful to you yeah. in a way for like, hey, I, I needed something like... It was a little bit of a risk because she certainly she was not like in fashion at that yeah. moment. But you know, you, any true cinephile lo- will always love Natasha. She's fucking yeah. great. Yeah. I loved just my little interaction and working with her. And, yeah, she's and so lovely. She is lovely yeah. and cool and gets it. And, she's and edgy and like funny and like yeah. so much going on there. And she killed it. She was she was incredible. Yeah. And, so, and our friendship persevered. And then when yeah. I made GBF, she's like, I want to be in this. It's awesome. You know. And then and then I have another movie that she that she shared with Chloe Seventy. Yeah. Because uh, Chloe and that you know Chloe's attached to that movie. It's so awesome. Chloe, so she, not only is Natasha a great actress, but she's very generous. Which is that's not. It's very rare to find an actress who will refer you to another actress friend right. for a role. Yeah. That's really amazing. Yeah. And Judy Greer. I think the first time I saw her was Jawbreaker. Yeah. Um, is there a thrill to like? Kind of discovering somebody yeah, and then watching totally. them blow up. Of course. What was it about her at that time? Um, well, it's funny because we had cast Fern, uh, an actress as Fern, an actress named Hetty Burress. Yeah. And Hetty decided not to play the part because she got into pilot, so she yeah. passed. So it was a week, we were a week away from shooting. We had no Fern Violet. We had this main character. And I remember Rose, Rose once said to me with a completely straight face, I can play her. I'm like, oh, yeah, she wanted to play her role and, and Violet. Um, she wanted to play two parts. Yeah, which is great. You, have to you like, gotta love it. You gotta love you it. Gotta right? love it. I mean, nothing, Are you still friends with Rose? Nothing venture, nothing gain. Yeah, we're yeah. still friends. Yeah. yeah, yeah As a matter of yeah, fact, yeah. I, have an, I have a movie I'm putting together now um, about Jane Mansfield that I, uh, I'm trying to get Rose, Rose to do. Yeah. I had interviewed her a few times back in the day, and she was one of my favorites. She's a good interview. Smart, funny, surprising, interesting. Oh, she's a really yeah. fascinating person. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Judy, so, so we were a week away. We had no one. We had no one. The casting director was like, oh, this new girl just came into LA uh, from acting school, graduated from college in Chicago or Illinois somewhere, or Detroit, I think she's from. We got to read her. She's great. So we brought her in, and Judy was Judy. Judy was yeah. brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant. Like better than, the, you know, whatever. So Meant to be. Meant to be. And so we promptly dyed her hair platinum. Okay. What color we was off, it? We were off to the races. You were off to the races. Yeah. It was like brown. Because okay. the character, because Violet has platinum, and then yeah. when she's fern, she's wearing a, that carry yep. type wig. <laughs> now, looking around your place, you have some souvenirs from your, your, your work. What, what are some of your favorites? 
Um, I love what you have in oh, your yeah. fireplace. Oh, yeah. You've got a good eye. I know. you got I a know. good eye. I noticed like, that before. It's not even lit up. I know. Um, well, yeah, I have the neon, the faucet neon sign from her bedroom from CBF. First of all, great. faucet as a name for a girl in that kind of a movie at that time is perfect. It's so perfect. Because yeah. Farrah would have been her mother's, yeah. you know, amazing. Yeah. And not not naming her Farrah, naming her faucet. Yeah. I Genius. think, you know, with teen movies, God is in the details. Like, it's like yeah. every, not from the, the names of the characters, to the costumes, to the music, yeah. to the bedrooms. Like, they, it needs to be, like, really thought through. It's, it's sort of like a period piece, teen movies, even when they're modern. I've gone back and watched the John Hughes stuff recently. They're brilliant. I can't. I saw Pretty in Pink recently. Yeah. I couldn't believe how good it was in I terms know. of like the dialogue and like I think I think Molly Ringwald's character is like a hero, like mm-hmm. heroic, and mm-hmm. like I you know everyone talks about him being great or whatever. But I was kind of like, wow, mm-hmm. this is fucking great. Yeah, I my my biggest references for GBF were John Hughes movies. Yeah, it's particularly Sixteen Candles. And pretty in pink. Well, and they have those long dialogue scenes mm-hmm. where where every line is meaningful mm-hmm. and characters. Yeah. And, you know, I I have this thing sometimes with filmmakers or in my work. I'm like, you know, certain projects of mine. If I, I get to get a made, I'm like, first my first note to everyone is we're going to shoot this on the Empathy Cam 360, which is this new camera where you just care about everybody. And there's not like the jerks and the whatever, like mm-hmm. you, you know, certain, I feel like John Hughes shot on the empathy cam 360. Yeah. I feel like Colin, Cameron Crowe does, mm-hmm. you know, it's a certain aesthetic mm-hmm. and I love it. Yeah. No, I do too. So you have the faucet, uh, and light the faucet, up thing. Oh, I have one of the, who is if I let yeah. posters from okay. Jawbreaker and, and when I, we'll take a bathrooms. picture of it maybe if we can and post oh, it. I've, I, you know what I've been doing? What's that neat thing? That's cool. I've been collecting, there's been so much fan art for Jawbreaker recently. Yeah. And one of them was a, a really great illustration that, that's called The Social Hierarchy of the High School Female. Yeah. And it shows, it has like Alpha Bitch, Second in Command, Hot and Dim, and then The Interloper. Yeah. And it's got the girls from Heathers, Mean Girls, and Jawbreaker. Right. And, it, and, it's, and, it's, and it's, like a, it's, like a, it's like a chart. It's like the Bad Girls Club on VH1 where they all yeah. come together in one place. Yeah. That's yeah. so cool. I definitely collect, I have the British poster for GBF. Yeah. Which is great because they're, they're called quads. They're, yeah. Yeah. They're horizontal. They're so cool. They look great. I know. So and, I was, so I just try to like, you know, collect certain things. I mean, it's I, awesome. You're, I love this place. Um, what was something from your own high school experience that went into a movie? Huh. My own high school experience. Was there probably, a- probably just, you know, generally the, the feeling of being an outsider. You know, I yeah. definitely felt like the other, the, the yeah. outsider, like just not part of the group. Um, so, uh, you know, just that feeling of being, yeah. of not being one of the cool kids. Yeah. I think that is infused. It sort of informs everything. Yeah. But then also, you know, when I was in high school, I was really into 80s, like new wave music. Yeah. And movies. Yeah. Like the John Hughes films, teen films, Heathers, you know, like alien science fiction films. I mean, the eighties is a golden age for movies. Yeah. Um, so I think my, my language of my films are definitely, you know, referential to other films, but yeah. also, um, just from an outsider perspective. Yeah. Definitely. Now you made a movie called put the camera on me. Yes. What year did that come out? God, that's probably like 12 years ago or 10, okay. 10, no, 11, 10 or 11 years ago. But it was a documentary using all of this um, footage you had done of yourself and home movies and yeah. things that you were calling like the early speed. It was like the Goldbergs is now. Mm-hmm. Um, what was that like to look at yourself that way? When you, right. when you, you hadn't looked at it in a while, you start to look at it. Are you like, Oh, I was like this. I always thought I was like that. Yeah. Well, it's funny. Cause 
as a kid, I was so insecure that I was such a little queen. I was too queeny, too girlish. Right. I scream, yeah. sissy. Yeah. Everyone can smell yeah. it on me. So I wanted to destroy those tapes. Yeah. That, 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 that was my first feeling. And when then, you watched them back. When I was younger, yeah. yeah. And then when I embraced myself and my identity and my masculine and feminine side, everything, I was like, fuck it. I'm going to own it. I don't care. Yeah. I got something here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so putting it all out there was a way for me to exercise, exercise demons, accept myself, and not live in fear about who I was. Well, and I think everyone can relate to it because yeah. there was um, a guy named Paul V., who started that blog, Born This Way. Yeah, he's great. Have you seen I those pictures? Paul. Yeah, they're great. It's just pictures of you when you were kids where it's, you look at it and in one second you're like, oh, that's a gay kid. And you like, it, and, and yet you look at that innocent face and you go, how can anyone begrudge this? And it was those yeah. behaviors, mm-hmm. the way you carried your books, mm-hmm. the way you stood, the way you liked to, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, and I think gay kids, gay boys, fem, feminine gay boys were much more um, alarming to people than butch girls. A butch girl was just a tomboy. Oh, yeah. She was a Christian nickel. Yeah. yeah. That was fine. She kicked ass on Battle of the Network The feminine stars. boy was not, was, was like it's yeah, the, worst the Antichrist. Thing be. Yeah. You know, when people talk about <laughs> words that, that hurt, right. faggot, whatever, the worst for me, mm-hmm. sissy. Mm. That's the one I got right. the most. Yeah. Um, and there was a period of time there where I would be asked if I was a boy or a girl. Mm-hmm. It was oh, like one too. summer. Yeah. I was like... I, you know, what, what is it? The purse? No, right. I didn't have a purse, but it was the word. It was oh, the yeah, worst yeah. before I even understood what sexuality was or anything like that. I know. No, I think, I think a lot of gay guys have similar stories. Yeah. And that's why there's a book called the velvet rage. That's right. I love that book <laughs> by the way. It's great. It's great. And sometimes I'll see behavior and I'm like, Oh, he's so Someone velvet rage. But the good thing is you get the book and then you pass it on to somebody. It really is. And, and I know a- people that I, I've met the author and uh, know him a little bit. Nancy and, just came oh, up. you have two dogs. Yeah, she just got groomed. So I know. Look pretty. how pretty she is. Hi, so it's Nancy and Nico. Yeah. Um, so it's, I know people that, that were reading that book and would, get, would have to put it down because it made them angry. It brought up so much stuff. Interesting. Yeah, anyway. Oh, Nan, if you want to come get Nico, I have her here. Okay. Don't it's worry. It's grooming day yeah. at uh, <laughs> Science Place. What's, um, what's your... Is, put the camera on me available for people to watch? Um, I think it's on Netflix yeah. for rental. I mean, I, I don't really promote it a lot now. Yeah. And the only reason why is because it goes to some provocative places yeah. that I, I made choices, I think, as a filmmaker. Oh, I, I co-directed it with a kid I grew up with. Yeah. That I don't think I would have made today. And, you know, and he's now married with kids, so I don't think he... He's, you know, there's, there's a whole scene in the movie. Let me tell you a funny story. Yeah. There's, there's a scene in the movie where we, we, me and the kid, who, I'm friends with all the, guy, all, the, all the guys in that movie and, yeah. and, and the one girl. We're all friends today. Um, and me and Adam, when we were young, we kind of hooked up. We had yeah. a sexual experience. And in the movie, we talk about whether or not he came. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is like kind of a very personal For sure. conversation. And a friend of mine, this guy that I had met, who's, who's an executive at, at um, the Disney Channel, <laughs> loved the movie and goes, oh my God, this movie's brilliant. It's about children. It's about children discovering their identities, about imagination. I want to I screen this um, at, at the Disney Channel <laughs> for, the, for the entire staff. Company retreat. A company screening. Oh, d- God. During okay. So Adam and I were invited to Disney Channel for this catered lunch company screening of, G- of uh, put the camera on me. My butthole's tightening as, as we speak. And um, we've got Trinity Gabbard for you. Hi, how are you? Thank you. Good. Here you go. Thank you so much. How much are you doing with her? 
This one's just a little short. Take a little off the side on the back. <laughs> we're, get, we're draw grooming today at Darren Stein's house. Did we do her legs also last time? I think so. I, mean, I don't think she, she looks pretty good. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We did her short. She yeah. Good yeah. Short. Yeah. All right, you go for it, Nan. But keep okay. her face like that. Like okay. the, the, ear, the ear shorter, though. Okay. Yeah. yeah. All right. Love Thank it. Thank you. How often does one groom dogs? Not very often. Okay. I, I only do these guys. I probably say once every three months. Okay. Yeah. yeah okay. I don't. I don't like to over groom them. Yeah. Really over at that point. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I thought she was cute though. Yeah. Yeah, she is. She's yeah. So cute. Oh, yeah. I, I, you know, I cut her eyes a little. All right. Yeah. Um, so you're. Oh yeah. So we're Disney. Company retreat at Disney. Disney. Showing. Put the camera on me. Which, just FYI, is it's kind of a documentary movie about. All of this footage you have is when you were a kid and making silly home movies of uh-huh. yourself. Yeah, one of them's like me dancing, on the, like writhing on the ground, dancing, dancing to some new wave song, like yeah. Berlin. And, yeah. I mean, movies about the Holocaust, about being lonely, being gay. I, yeah. I filmed Gay as a Whistle. So, so Gay as a Whistle. I love that? Gay as a Whistle. <laughs> it's a black boy in a leotard. Yeah. The, the, the other queer kid I put in a leotard. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm sitting next to the head of uh, the Disney Channel, who at the time was, I think, Richard Ross. Yes. And... Um, we get to the scene. It's like 10 minutes. <laughs> That's so embarrassing to talk about. They've all got like, their, they're all, you're all, first of all, being at Disney feels sort yeah. of like, uh, I don't know, like a Death Star. Yeah. yeah. Whatever. But I was really, I was really, you know, sort of like, oh, this is so cool. I'm show a documentary. Yeah. Honored. Hired. You're flattered. Yeah. Maybe I'll get hired to direct. Yeah. I'm going to work. Episodic yeah. stuff. I'll be on uh, the next ABC Disney show. Right. Whatever. Um, and 10 minutes into the movie, there's a scene where you see me as a kid, I think I was probably like 11 or 12, BAing the camera, you know, pulling my, pulling my pants down, putting my butt out, and I'm like, and I, and I say, BA, BA Baracus. I don't know what BA means. BA means bare ass. Bare ass, okay. And BA Baracus was the name of, of uh, a character from the A team. Okay. <laughs> that just shows how 80s this was. I know, it's so specific. So, I'm, 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 so I'm not, you're mooning the camera. I'm mooning the camera, but I'm kind of just also like, Owning it, owning like, it, arching your back, yeah, serving it up. But it's kind of like not appropriate to see a, ch- a twelve-year-old child doing that. No, at that moment, Richard, Richard Ross stood up and left the screening. Oh fuck! And I, and I and I found out that the guy who organized it got in trouble, you know, because you know because of that because they had gotten the whole because the because from there it gets even edgier, you know. And, yeah. Oh yeah, oh yeah, and then a couple of the employees, I think there were complaints about the movie because I get some oh, of the, some of the pro- provocative parts of it. But don't you think? I mean, maybe that wasn't the time or the place, right? right? But don't you think it captured everything? Yeah. Well, meanwhile, I mean, creatively, I, yeah. you, you it played, brought, it played, it played at film festivals around the world. I mean, it was embraced. You know, I think there, I think there's a time and a place for it. Yeah. But, but you know, This American Life did a did a um, interview on it with me. Right at the time. Yeah. And it was a great. It was with Ira Glass. It was a 15 minute interview, and it, that was brilliant. So I feel like now it's like I feel like I share that interview more than I share the actual documentary. Right. Because I feel like in, in 12 minutes, he got to the crux of it so fast. Yeah. That's cool. You got to do yeah. the Ira Glass yeah, thing. Yeah, cool. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. I love it. You should listen to it. If you, if you go to I'm going to. I'll, maybe this, I'll put a link to it. Yeah. How do you find it? This, this American this, Life? Thislife.org. All right. And it's, it's in a movie called the, it's in a, the thing's called The Kids Stay in the Picture. Okay. And the, the show's called Home Movies. You can Fun. find it. Just have my name and you can find it. I love it. Yeah. What do you do to not go crazy between things? I I, I work. I, I jog. Okay. I do yoga. Love yoga. Where I do, do you go? I do Kundalini yoga. 
All right. So I go to Nine Treasures Yoga, which is okay. a, teach, a teacher called Tej that used to be at Golden Bridge. Okay. And she teaches uh, across from the, um, you know, the movie theater on Sunset. And I want to go sometime. Come with me. I love it. Friday at night. We'll go. Okay. Are you, can you, are you into chanting and all that? Yeah, I'm into it. It's chanting about the fire. Okay. This, okay. I've been doing Kundalini for probably seven or eight years now. Yeah. It's, it's really... I got into yoga about four or five years ago, and it, it, I, I, the, the high thing, it's all there. Yeah. I like it very I get much. so high off it. Yeah. In a, in a spiritual sense. And then I jog. I, I go to a circuit training class where I work out. Yeah. I'm now into CrossFit. So I do CrossFit now and then, which is right. like hurling tires in a park. Not I do that like one, okay. once or twice sure. once a week or once or two weeks. And then, you know, just have a really tight group of friends. A yeah. A close-knit friend group. Um, Support system. My family's in town, so I have them. Yeah. You know, I got the feeling that your family was always super supportive of you. They are very supportive. I'm really yeah. lucky. Yeah. You know, I, I'm a second-generation L.A. native. Yeah. Um, so my dad, his parents started a film lab in Hollywood in the 60s. So I was raised around cellul- film stock and all that cellulite stuff. my whole life. Yeah, so they are supportive, even though they didn't want me to get into this. I remember when I was a kid, they were like, talk to your lawyer. What's it going to be? And I was like, <laughs> me either. I want to be a filmmaker. So, yeah. Wow. But now, you know, I really want to get into episodic directing, which is yeah. a tough nut to crack. It is a tough nut to crack. But I'm getting there. Good. Um, and then, um, yeah. What's your favorite part of directing? Um, just the, I, I love just the massive, I love the fact that it's such a huge collaboration with so many people that you can find, you know, you, you sort of cast the DP and the editor and the sound designer and the costume designer. It's, and, and you all get to sort of like collaborate and, 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 and bring a vision to life. I like the, I just like I like the um, I like the actors. I, I don't know. I just love everything about it. I like the um, the family that you form. Yeah, and I and I really do love that. It it's it's not just a writer and a computer screen. It's literally like a hundred people. Yeah. on a set that you need to make it happen, or, or fifty people, or whatever. Um, I don't know. I just I just I just love it. I I just you know, it's a whole bunch of people coming together to try to do something. Yeah. And it's, it's like putting on a sh- It's really just putting on a show. Yeah. That every day mm-hmm. is this or that. It could go wrong or right or... Yeah. I like... I also like the, the notion that... The, the happy accidents that happen. I wrote this down. Look. Happy accidents. Oh, wow. Happy accidents. That's right amazing. there on my... I was going to ask you. Can you think of any from your movies yeah. where this... We got kicked out of this location, but this happened and that turned out or whatever? Um, yeah. Like, for, for example, like on Jawbreaker, you know... Um, for the prom scene, Rebecca Gayhart came out of hair and makeup and she had these little, like, little flowers in her hair in this updo. Yeah. And Rose saw that and flipped out she's like, I've got to be the queen. Grabbed the hair guy, dragged him back into the trailer and she came out with this silver, um, I don't know, this silver uh, ribbon, ribbon or something weaved into her hair. It was like, so her hair became a sculpture. So at the end of that movie when the slow motion scene happens and she's like, Ripping off of her, you know, she's rubbing her face and ripping her hair apart in the tiara. The silver thing adds so much visual interest to that. So that was just a happy accident. Yeah. So she was like, I'll be right back. Yeah. <laughs> How long did that take, though? It probably took a while. minutes. Okay. It was worth it. It was worth it. It was worth it. Um, were, you, were you like, okay, as a director, you have to decide, are you going to... Or the scene... So, well, so many of the... Hap- yeah. Well, yeah. As a director, you know, when the star of your movie tells you they'll be right back, you, you can't... It's not much you can do. Right, right, right. You only hope it's, it's going to be for a good reason. And it right. was actually a great reason. Yeah. And then another example was like the scene where, I don't know, Courtney and, and Violet are in the bathroom. And it was Judy Greer and having that they're, they're kind of face off against the mirror. There's a scene where um, Violet blows smoke in her face. And I think I might have told 
Judy Greer off camera, I'm like, blow smoke in their face, see what happens. You know, just, and not tell, yeah. and not tell Rose about that. Right. And Rose takes a cigarette out of her mouth and throws it on the ground or out of her hand. Yeah. There's a whole beat where that happens. And it was not scripted. Yeah. It was so, just in the moment. Yeah. So That's I think, so neat. Yeah. So I think it's really cool to have it in the moment stuff like that. I love it. Yeah. Um, what's been like, who's been like your most surprising fan or somebody to reach out to you that surprised mm. you or, um, God, I can't. If anything comes to mind. I'm trying to see if I can think of anything. Oh, Alexander Wang. Wow. Yeah. That's he, cool. That's a big one. Yeah. He, He's the fashion designer. Yeah. Okay. He, um, for a second there, I was going to act like I did, I knew it, but I right. wasn't quite sure. So I was right. just going to be like, oh, ama- that's amazing. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, it's funny because Jawbreaker really influences fashion to this day. That's so cool. Yeah. And um, like, like V Magazine. like Yeah. Like, they're like, oh, the spring collection is very Jawbreaker. Like it gets referenced, you know. I love it. Kind of neat. But Alexander Wang was doing, he wanted to do a short film for one of his collections. And the, the reference he was setting out to all the ad agencies was the prom scene from Jawbreaker, the slow motion prom scene with Rose. That's so interesting. And so this one agency came to me directly and said, why not go to the director of Jawbreaker? Yeah. And I pitched the job and I got the job. That's so cool. So I got, to, I got to direct a, an Alexander Wang fashion film. That's not something that would be online, is yeah, it? Yeah, it is. Okay. Yeah. We're going to find that low. Just type link. my name and his name together or you can find it. There you go. It's on YouTube. I love it. Yeah. What have you learned about playing the game? Because um, when I was younger, yeah. I think I thought that little things didn't matter that much. Mm-hmm. But I think a little thing can tilt it either way or not. Mm-hmm. I think that you have to have a lot of finesse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. More than I thought. Yeah. I remember when Rupert Everett, maybe it was Rupert Everett that came out, and I think he said a quote like, well, if my success is that precarious, it's based on that, well, then fuck it or something. I don't know what the effect was. And now I look back and I go, yeah, it is that precarious. Everything for everyone is that precarious. Mm-hmm. Somebody could not like your shoes and you don't get the job. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, that's sort of what I've learned. I don't think it means you have to be fearful. But like mm-hmm. you're talking about that Disney story. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like myself would be like, you know what? This is my expression. They invited me. Mm-hmm. What can go wrong? Right. But by the way, that, that, that Richard Ross went on to run Disney Studios. Yes. So it's like anyone, like, like the, the, the executive from Jawbreaker from Columbia Tristar now runs Screen Gems. People all live, you know, it's like, you never know, like, the right person, if you rub the wrong way, anything can happen. You know, I just learned it's really important, like, kindness. You have to just be respectful of people. You have to, you know, you have to, like, leave your, leave your ego at the door. That's what I've learned, is, like, it's not about, it's about, you know, getting... So your, nice guys can finish... Yeah, it's about getting your... <laughs> Somewhere get, in the middle. <laughs> getting your vision across with grace. Yeah. You know, there's a way to do it and still, you know, win fans and be a good person. Right. Um, I'm not interested in being a bad person. So right. if, 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 if I'm not, you know... Um, I don't know, maniacal enough to, you know, be someone huge, then so be it. I'm not interested in compromising my, my integrity like that. Right, right, right. Um, so. This, it, it's always interesting when you see somebody who's so successful uh-huh. and they have all this stuff going on and then you see them sort of in a, maybe in an interview or in a mm-hmm. candid moment or whatever and they seem miserable mm-hmm. and they're miserable to people around them. Mm-hmm. It's really like, wow, I wouldn't trade places. No. And there's a number of them. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and maybe you, so they're driven by something and that's what makes them so... Yeah, yeah. there's something like dark there. Um, but we all have, you know, yeah. our things. Um, but yeah, no, I just feel like, you know, diplomacy, you know, yeah. and being, and, and just, you know, being listening. Yeah. 
Sometimes listening is like a thing that you have to do. <laughs> Sometimes it is. Maybe that's, I think that might be the title of this podcast. So I always pull a random quote. What's something you'd like to do that you haven't done yet? Um, a style a movie or a kind of thing. Oh, I want to do a, mu- a, a film musical. Yay. For sure. And I'm writing one now. Good. I'm working on one. Can you tell us anything about it? It's called Beyond Red. Okay. And it's about a cosmetics company that's using blood in their makeup. <gasps> what? Yeah. It's very like little top, little top of horrors, Rocky Horror Picture Show. That's creepy. Yeah, it's very creepy. I just got a chill. Oh, good. And then yeah, it's, and it's doing its job. Yeah, so. I love it. Is it based on something original? Uh, or just an original idea. It's an original idea. Love it. Yeah. Beyond red. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, all right. You picked a question from your uh, from the observation oh, deck. Yeah. What? And so we'll read this question. What was your most glamorous night? Well, this isn't necessarily glamorous, but it was, but it was very exciting for me. Yeah. I went to, the other night I went to the, this, this uh, show called The Music of David Lynch. Okay. And it was at the Ace Hotel Theater. And it was all so this is recent. Yeah, it was just last Yay. week. Good things that still happen. Yeah. <laughs> it, was all, it was all these, uh, it, was, it, was a, it was a benefit for the David Lynch Foundation right. to benefit Transcendental Meditation. And Which all, I want to try, funny yeah, enough. I, I, I just yeah. signed up for a, like a, a free thing. Have you ever done it? I haven't, but a friend of mine teaches it out of his apartment, so maybe you'll come with me to that. Yes. Yeah. My friend Joseph wants to do it. Okay, well, I've got, I know someone. We're emailing with okay. 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 that. All right, here we go. Um, but it was like all these, it was Angela Badalamenti, who's written the scores for Blue Velvet, Twin okay. Peaks, Wild at Heart. And then it was like all these different uh, bands, like Duran Duran, M- uh, Moby, Sky Ferreira, Karen O, um, Donovan, it was just like all these great artists interpreting David Lynch songs from his movies, original songs. Where was themes. this at? It was at the Ace Hotel Theater. Holy shit. And I went with a friend of mine who was in um, Inland Empire. Her name is Kat Turner. And yeah. she met a woman shooting Inland Empire that, that ended up marrying David Lynch. His, his, this young woman that's her age in her mid-30s named Emily. So after the show, Emily's like, come up to David, come up to our room. You know, you can hang out with that hang with us or whatever. So I got to go to David Lynch's hotel room. They weren't spending the night there, but they were just having people there after, sure. after the show. And I got to um, meet David Lynch. Wow. So that, for me, that was a, a glamorous night because he's like one of my, my favorite filmmakers. I got to shake his hand. But also Duran Duran was in the hotel room. I love them. Yeah. So Simon Le bon is like, I got to meet Simon Le bon and shake his hand and he's like right next to me and like Nick Rhodes is right there and all the guys are there. And... It was just a surreal night, you know? I love that. Yeah. Because Duran Duran is so, is, is just as iconic What's as your favorite Duran Duran song? Chauffeur. Oh, interesting. I'll have to dig that out. Is yeah. that a hit or like a... It was. You'll recognize it when you hear it. Okay. Yeah. I'm a fan of Save a Prayer. Yeah. I'm also a fan of like uh, Ordinary World. Some of that later stuff. Well, they sang Ordinary... At, at, the, at the Lynch concert, yeah. they sang three songs. Ordinary World, Chauffeur, and Hungry Like the Wolf. Oh, yeah. They were amazing. I saw Spandau Ballet a few months ago. Wow, wow. Fuck, I still have come in my pants from that. That's huge. Well, we, we, we used the Spandau Ballet song in GBF. We had a, a, a shoegazer band cover it. I'll give you a soundtrack before you go. What? You're so generous. Yeah, well, what song did you use? Um, True. Of course. And that was obviously referencing Pretty in Pink. Of course. Or, or Sixteen Candles. Sixteen Candles. Yeah. You have to go see the For the Record series. Have you ever I seen those? Bro- I've seen them. The John I, Hughes one is genius. I it's genius. Yeah. yeah. But I, I saw the Rocky Horror one. Yeah. And I've seen... Do you like, see the Baz Luhrmann one? I haven't, but I heard they're brilliant. I saw one in Palm Springs. Yeah, I love these was. things. Well, I saw lo- Ferris, uh, Forrest Gump one or something. Yeah. Oh, the Robert Zemeckis Robert one. That was great. Yeah. I haven't seen that one. Yeah. The current one that's running is fantastic. Yeah. Um, I think we can wrap it up. Awesome. I love this. It was great. I love it. Do you have like a, a, mo- a motto or something you live by or something you think about? 
a motto. You know what I mean? Like, I do. It's 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 very basic. It's the golden rule. That this works for me. Yeah. Do on others. You have to do it on you. Yeah. It's so simple, but it's like it's so it's like it's like it's all you need to know. Now, were you always like that, or was there a time when you were young and hot and things were happening? Oh, yeah, no, I Did, was. Were you ever? Were you ever a I brat? Was, oh yeah. I think I was. I, I think I, I definitely went through an egomaniacal phase for a few years there. Was there but something was, that snapped you out of it, or was it a gradual? Yeah. Thing? Yeah. You know. You know. First of all, you know Hollywood can beat you down. You know. For just, sure. And secondly, yeah, I um, I got a DUI. Interesting. Yeah, years and years ago, and I I, I thought I was an alcoholic, and I um, was sober for three and a half years, and I realized, and then through AA, I found Kundalini Yoga. Yeah. And I realized it wasn't about the alcohol; it wasn't the obsession with alcohol that I had. It was I needed more of a spiritual connection. Right. And so I think you I needed be- something. Yeah. So I think I just be- I become a more spiritual person over the last ten years. Right. And that's, you know... Well, as somebody that doesn't see you very much, it shows. Yeah. There's something about you that, like, I feel safe or cared for or... I don't know. I think it's awesome. Because the business can send you one way or the other. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I think... But, you know, there's there's good people in the business and, you know... I've never curated friends based on, like, what they can do for me or how much success they have or any of that. It's like... It's like people... It's just people I want to be around and hang out with, you know? Yeah. I love it. All right. Thank you for doing this. Thank you. Watch Darren's movie on Sunday night on Lifetime, Seeds of Yesterday. He wrote it. And also, do you, are you on Twitter or any of that stuff? I am. It's at Darren Stein. At Darren Stein and Twitter. So follow him. Thank you so much. Thank you, And then Dennis. we're going to go take pictures of cool things in his house. <laughs> Bye. My thanks again to Darren Stein. Watch his movie, Seeds of Yesterday, on Lifetime. And by the way, I like the use of the word seed in that title because it implies... Um, semen or sperm and uh, cross-pollination, maybe a little incest. I support the word seed. I like it in my pornography, and I like it in my Lifetime movies. Okay, so this happened. I watched Dancing with the Stars. I know that's not a big event, but maybe it is to some people because a lot of you have probably checked out already. I love it because it is the least cynical show on television. I love to watch the celebrities grow and struggle and get better. And this year I am Team Rumor Willis all the way. I've seen her perform in a couple of shows in L.A., uh, the For the Record series, Baz Luhrmann and John Hughes. And she kills it. And I love that she's just part of that company doing her thing and carving out her own identity and getting out from under the celebrity kid thing. And I think she's awesome. And I'm also really bummed out that Michael Sam, the gay football player, got the boot because... I'm rooting for him, you know, and I thought he did good with his dancing and I just, you know, it bums me out when somebody does the right thing and the courageous thing and the world doesn't like give them a place to land. And so I'm, I don't know, maybe he's fine, but I know he's, you know, had trouble in the football world. And anyway, I want him to, to kind of rise Rise up and kick ass, and I'm rooting for him. That's my point. All right, that's all I have to say. Thanks, Darren Stein, and uh, you are awesome to talk to. And thank you all for listening. We'll join you next time on Dennis Anyone. Bye.